Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. In this series, we're in a series called Incarnate in this Christmas season, and uh, we have been looking at Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to do that ag- again today. Uh, here's, here's the focus this Christmas. Uh, we, we know that Scripture tells us that Jesus came, and, and he did a, a lot of things. One of the things that he did is that he made visible the invisible God. So, um, like, so if you want to know what makes Jesus happy, just, I mean, what makes the Father happy, just look at Jesus. If you want to know what causes the Father to, to just mourn, look at Jesus. If you want to know what makes the Father angry, just look at Jesus. Take a look at the, read, read the Gospels and, and see, uh, see Jesus. And now, now Jesus ascends to the Father, and he tells his first followers that as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so now we represent him. Now we're imaging him to our, to our world. We get to incarnate him and reflect him uh, to those around us. So we've been noticing the shifts in Isaiah chapter 9 in how, how the, the uh, prophet Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying 700 years before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem and saying, that here, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go from battle to rest. So Jennifer talked to us early on about this idea that that we get to incarnate rest. We get to represent rest in Jesus to our world. That we get to be a non-anxious presence in a world that is stressed out. And then Rob last week talked about the shift from disgrace to prominence. That in Christ we have this prominence. Not a prominence that like I'm better than you or I'm superior to you. No, that's far from it. It's a prominence. It's this sticking out that comes from the, the, the presence of Jesus, the spirit in us that transforms us in such a way that actually people are attracted to us, to you, because they see Jesus in you. And today, I want to talk about another shift, the shift from distress to joy. That's what we've been singing about and talking about. The the shift from distress to joy. Um, Now, if you've got your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read here in in a bit. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Go to page uh, 572, and you will find uh, this passage. Uh, I'm using the same Bible that's in the pew rack, so we'll be be using the same version. Um, And we're, we're going to read about this shift from distress to joy. Um, Trina and I have four kids, and when our kids were much younger, we did what every parent does when a child has a birthday. You throw a party. You throw a celebration. Uh, you you, you want to celebrate uh, your child as, as, as they're growing on their birthdays, and, and you want to do it big. You, you need, there's cake, and there's ice cream, and there's uh, friends are invited, and, um, and yeah, gifts are given. But we also, like, like you've done with your kids, if you have kids, uh, you, you invite friends, and you, and you want those kids to leave, and you don't want them to leave empty-handed, so you, you want to do something that's fun for them as well. And so one year... We decided that we were going to have a piñata for our birthday party. So we went out. We got the biggest piñata we could find. It was like a, you know, like a small horse, and we got as much candy as we could. We jammed that piñata with all kinds of candy, packed it tight. This thing was just loaded you know, with, with, with candy, and uh, we hung it in the backyard. And uh, we, you know, when you buy the piñata, it comes with a piñata stick. And so you know, the kids are they're enjoying the birthday party, and we tell them that, hey, we're going outside because we got a piñata. It's stuffed full of candy. Not the cheap kind of candy, the good candy that's in there. And, and 
uh, man, we got a lot in there. And so the kids, man, they are all, they're, they're excited. They're anticipating this moment that they get to get, all this candy is going to be theirs. And so they go out and, um, and anticipation is running at all time high. They got the pinata stick and they're, they're striking the pinata. And um, that pinata was so stacked full with candy that, that it was, it was kind of like trying to beat a brick and get something out of a brick. Um, I mean, it was like a thud and it's hitting and nothing is happening. In fact, the kids who were once excited, now the mood is shifting. Now there's a sense of this, I'm not so happy anymore. And now there's frustration that's starting to take root in these children. And, and one of the boys strikes the pinata so hard, the side of this brick-like pinata, that the stick snaps in half. <laughs> and they all turn and look at me like, like it's my fault, you know. And uh, so I say, well, hold on one second. I go and I, I go in the closet and I take, you know, those, those wooden dowels that hold coats and stuff. I take that, I pull it off the closet, I come out and I, and I dump the coats on, on the couch. Trina was very happy. And I got the dowel and I brought it out and I put that in the hand of the next kid. And now the kids are beating the pinata. They're striking the pinata and, and they're hitting it harder and harder. And, um, and, and then... The pinata gets hit so hard that it breaks loose from the rope of the string and it falls to the ground. Now, the frustration that, and, and the angst is now turning to, it's, it's, that's looking like anger now, okay? It's, it's starting, like, this is not, this is, this, this pinata stinks. You can see it's written on their face. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. Tie it back up, secure it tightly this time. I take the dowel, so I'll come back. I got, I got something better. And I, I put the dowel back, I go in the garage, and I get an aluminum baseball bat that my son used in Little League. And I gave it to the next kid. And he bludgeoned that little horse on a string. He beat it. And, and, and it, was, it was taking the beating, but then, but then it, it was starting to weaken. And, um, and a couple pieces of candy fell. You, you've seen like a storm on the horizon, dark clouds coming in. Maybe you're driving, you're walking, and the first raindrops hit the ground or they hit you. They're big raindrops. And you know that a gully washer is on the way, right? Those first two pieces of candy were like those first couple raindrops before the gully washer. And the kids who were frustrated and full of angst and giving me kind of the stink eye in this whole process, they're, now they're pressing in because they know it's about to happen. And the next blow causes an, an explosion from within this little pinata and candy goes everywhere. And in a moment, kids are now, there shouts of joy. They're on all fours. They're just gathering candy as quick as they can. Trina and I have hidden bags of candy. The kids are all, the heads are all down. We're just taking bags of candy and throwing it on them and making sure that no kid is going without any kind of candy in this, in this whole birthday party. And they are thrilled beyond measure. They're so excited, so happy. And they went quickly from despair pleasure and frustration and angst, and now you have big joy. You have great joy. And sudden abundance, sudden abundance delivers big joy. And just to prove my point, ushers, you ready? They've got candy for you. We got, we got little mini, uh, little mini, uh, you know, candy canes, little pepper. And here's the thing. This is 11 o'clock. 
This is like, if those of you who are seated in the back, you're in the best seats of the house tonight. You just fill those, you grab your hands, stick them in your pocket. I don't want to take candy canes home. These are yours, so take as much as you want, but make sure we got enough for everybody. Because the point I want to make here is sudden, yeah, throw it, you can throw it. Uh, sudden abundance creates big joy. And this is what Isaiah is going to try and point to here in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, and it's okay, you can crinkle the paper, I'm good with that, that's fine. And uh, just take the, take the little plastic with you when you go. Please, don't get me in trouble with the maintenance guys. Um, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, I want to read a, a bit of, of this passage, and I want you to hear the shift from distress to joy. And I'm going to pick it up in chapter 8, like Rob mentioned last week, that, um, that really the, the, the backdrop here is, is chapter 8. It's referring to the people of Israel, God's people. You're God's people. Here it's talking about Israel. And in, in verse 21 of chapter 8, it says, They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, and wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness... A light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This is God's holy word. Friends, sudden abundance brings great joy. But what Isaiah is saying here, he's writing to a people who are 50 or 60 years just prior to when Assyria will attack them. And he's writing to a people who are about ready to go into deep darkness. And he's telling them ahead of a time that, yeah, there's some deep shadows coming your way. And, uh, but, but it will not last forever. And there is big joy, great joy coming for you. But you're going into the darkness. And one of the things that we learn about joy is that our dark circumstances actually intensify your experience of joy. When you've been in the darkness and you come out of the darkness and you've been rescued, you've been redeemed, and the oppression is removed, the, the joy is intense, it's, it's palpable. And what Isaiah is saying, saying here to these people is, look, the darkness is going to be thick. 
It's going to be real. And it's going to be traumatic. I'm having to send Assyria to, to, to discipline you. And when, when nations would invade Israel from the north, they would come through Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali are like tribal counties. It's like Marion and Polk County. We, we know that means Salem, Kaiser, surrounding area. You say Multnomah County, you, you know you're talking about Portland. Zeb, you say Zebulun and Naphtali, you're talking about Galilee. This is where Jesus does 80 plus percent of his ministry in this, in this region. And, and this is where Assyria is going to attack. This is where Babylon is going to come. And people are going to be, going to be exiled. And there's going to be great pain. Uh, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee looking at the, the cliffs that surround it. These are the cliffs of Arbel. If you're reading in the Gospels and you hear about Jesus sitting on a mountain or a mountainside and he's looking down at the Sea of Galilee, seeing his disciples straining at the oars, this is, he's probably on one of, the, one of these cliffs here, probably the, the steepest one there on Arbel. And, uh, and if you go up, the next picture here is from the top of this, this cliff. And you get a sense of the height and the, and the sheer drop off of the cliff. This is a view looking back to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee there. And you can see people at the top right. And you get a sense of the size of it. On the side of the cliff, there's, there's, there's caves that are, that are dug in there. And, th and that's for a reason. Um, but, but when Shalmaneser of Assyria comes and he attacks from the north, he commits incredible atrocities in this area. He brings horrific, horrific judgment with him. He would gather people from the villages around Arbel. Our, our Beth Arbel would be one of those villages. And he gathers the villagers there, and he actually brings them to the edge of the cliff, and he shoves them off. They plummet to their death. Uh, Hosea references this in Hosea chapter 10. He says, the roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. As Shalman, another name for Shalmaneser, as Shalman devastated Beth Arbel on the day of battle when mothers were dashed to the ground with their children. Friends, Naphtali and Zebulun experienced great darkness. This region of Israel went through dark pain and sadness and it was painful, and it was traumatic. I, I, I gathered as many translations as I could to just sort of collect all the English words that describe this darkness. Listen to them. Darkness and despair, burdened, oppressed, injustice, heaviness, hopeless, gloom, humbled, troubled, abused, treated with cruelty, and cursed. Those are the words that describe the reality of those people who lived when they lived in that area when they were when they were attacked. And friends, the darkness did not end at Zebulun and Naphtali. The darkness still takes place. And those words, maybe one, maybe two, maybe more, are words that you might describe a season you've gone through in life. Or maybe one or two of them describe what your life looks like and feels like today. Put those words up on the screen again, just so you can see them. Darkness, despair, burdened, oppressed, injustice, heaviness, hopeless, gloom, humbled, troubled, abused, treated with cruelty, cursed. You ever been there? 
I'm just curious, how many of you in the room would say at least one of those words describe my circumstances today? Would you raise your hand? Just keep your, keep your hand up. You're, you're, you're here right now. Okay, look around. There's, okay, up in the balcony. Friends, the darkness is real. It's trembling. It burdens us, crushes us. And I think it would be good just to stop for a moment and just acknowledge that that is often our reality. I want to pray for those who raise their hands. Let me, let's pray. Lord, I, there are many hands that went up today. And I think about these dear ones in the room. Words like abuse and hopeless and gloom and despair describe their circumstances. Oh Lord, they need strength for their souls today. It's hard for them to see the light. It's hard for them to hear words like joy when their circumstances are so bleak. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our Christ who is familiar with suffering. You know what it's like to be in the darkness. You know what it's like to be treated with cruelty. You know despair. And one of the ways, Lord, for those of us who raised our hands, one of the ways that we can incarnate you in this season is just to walk in the power and the presence of Jesus even as we suffer, knowing that the darkness will not last, but that the darkness still chokes out our breath. We do ask that you would rescue. We do ask that you would redeem. We do ask that you would intervene. But as we wait for our deliverance, we ask that you would sustain our spirits and provide hope in the dark places. We pray this in your name. Amen. Isaiah notes the shift from distress to joy, and he's going to make that shift, and he's going to do it by first acknowledging the reality of the distress. Now, here's, here's yeah, yeah, the dark circumstances intensify our experience of joy, but if you ever found yourself in a long tunnel and you can't see the light, one of the most irritating things that can, someone can say to you is like, well, look at the bright side. I mean, look, you know, see, see this. And the, the problem is, is that when you're in the dark, you can't see anything but your pain. And as we're in our pain, one of, this, is, this, this is one of the things that, that makes it even tougher is that it's hard for us to receive any words of hope. It's very difficult for that. And Isaiah, what he, what, he, what, he, what he reveals to us is that, yes, God's sudden abundance, it provides great joy. But, but God delivers this great joy, and he does it in small ways, which means it is hard to see. It is difficult to see. And what, what Isaiah is going to do is he's going to show us, he's going he's to drive this point home. He's going to give us three pictures to help us see how small becomes big. And for those of you who are in darkness or you've been in darkness or you're going to be in darkness, what you have to understand is oftentimes God brings great joy, big joy, but it starts in small ways that are hard to see. 
So he gives us three pictures. The first picture we'll see in, in chapter 9, verse 3. They will rejoice before you. The joy is coming. The darkness will not last. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Here's picture number one. It's harvest. And if you're going to get harvest, what you need to understand is that you start very small. You start with a seed. Trina and I planted a garden last year, raised beds in her backyard, and I decided I wanted carrots. I bought carrot seeds, and I ripped open the package, and carrot seeds, I don't, they're like tiny. You, you can't pick up one carrot seed. They're on our counter. We have this multicolored kind of stone counter, and there's seeds. I'm colorblind. I, I'm rubbing my hand, and I got all these little tiny seeds. I'm scraping them off, and I'm, I'm trying to plant single seeds. Impossible, because it's so tiny. I put them in the ground, and, and I cover them up. And now you can't see anything. And you just sit there, and you wait. And every so often, I'd go up to the backyard, and I'd, and I'd look and see if anything was happening. And, and then the day came. The seed had this tiny little seed. I mean, tiny, tiny little seed had germinated, and now it was sprouting up through the, the soil in, in, in the backyard. It's still tiny. It's a little sprout. Now, if you're a farmer, you, you, you know this. You know this better than I do. And if you've gardened for any length of time, you, you, you know this as well. That you know that when that sprout comes up, that tiny seed is a little bit bigger now. Now it's a sprout. But now you're weeding and now you're fertilizing and now you're caring for this little sprout because you're hoping it'll grow and you're hoping that at one point in time there will be carrots, there will be lettuce, there will be corn, there will be beans. And so, so you care for it. And harvest that Isaiah is referring to, harvest, friends, does not happen for five or six months. It comes suddenly. It starts tiny with a seed, but eventually what happens, farmers will tell you this, that when harvest comes, it's on, and it's on typically in a short window, four to six weeks. And so you're out there all the time. You're out there, you're harvesting grass seed, you're harvesting corn, you're harvesting beans, you're getting it all, because if you don't get it, it goes bad. And so harvest comes suddenly, but it starts small. It starts small, it seems insignificant, but at one point in time, especially in an agricultural society, what it will do is produce festival joy. Agricultural societies, they would have parties and celebrations when the harvest comes in. It is a community collective party and celebration. Isaiah is telling us, look, friends, there's a small seed, and it will cause, joy will break through, the darkness will not last, and it will produce festival-like joy. But he doesn't stop there. He gives a second picture. Verses 3 and 4, he says this, they will rejoice, joy is coming, they will rejoice before you as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Now, for some of you in the room, it's like Midian, I have no idea what he's talking about there. I'm sure it's good. And I'm talking about joy. Well, what, what's, what's Midian? Well, some of you do know that this is a reference to a battle that's fought in Judges chapter 6. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, bit, a bit of a lengthy story, but it begins, it's that the Midianites are described as a people who cannot be counted. There's so many of them, and they're oppressing Israel, and they're actually stealing Israel's harvest. And the people have been crying out like, God, you got to save us. This is horrible. And God shows up, sends an angel to a guy named Gideon. Gideon describes himself as a nobody. He's insignificant. And he also says, I'm, a no I'm the weakest person in my family, and I also belong to the, 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 the weakest clan of my tribe. I and mean, we're, we're all nobodies. And God comes to him and says, 
Gideon, you mighty warrior. And, and, and Gideon, he's like, he's like some, it's like some of you in the darkness, and God comes to you and says, yeah, I got great joy for you. And I go, don't, don't, don't talk about joy. Do you, I, can't, I can't get a job. We can't have a baby. I can't afford to pay the bills. My marriage is falling apart. And Gideon responds like any one of us would respond when someone tries to say, look at the bright side. Here's what he says. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Can you hear your voice in that? Well, maybe not you. I can hear my voice in that. Okay, so great. Look at the bright side. So if God is going to do it, so why is this happening? Why is God doing nothing? What, what is going on here if what you're saying is true? And I love the story because Gideon asked, asked the question and the angel doesn't even answer it. <laughs> he just goes right to there. There's joy coming. There's deliverance coming. And I'm going to use you, you nobody, the person who feels small, from the smallest clan that you think can have no impact. And if you haven't read the story in Judges 6, I would encourage you to go read that story. Spoiler alert, here's how it ends. This massive army from Midian that can't be counted is defeated by Gideon with his army of 300 soldiers. Do you hear what God is saying? What he's saying is something as tiny as a seed when put in the ground that appears to be doing nothing and it sprouts, it doesn't look like much, it actually produces festival-like joy. And then God will use someone who feels completely insignificant and completely useless from a, from a, a clan that, that has no kind of honor and he will produce out of that ticker tape parade-like joy. Festival, you know what? Farming is hard work, but it produces festival like joy. Battle, if you're a veteran or you know someone who's a veteran, you know that battle is hard work. But when the battle is won, it's ticker tape parade time. And that's a collective communal joy and celebration. But that's just two pictures because Isaiah is going to give us one more picture. It's in verse 6. He says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Seeds are tiny. Farming is hard work, but it produces festival like joy. Small warriors from nobody clans go to battle against an army that cannot be counted. And when that victory happens, it produces ticker tape parade like joy. And can I tell you that when a woman is pregnant and she carries that child for nine months, I, I've witnessed this four times in, in my family. I, Trina being pregnant, carrying the child for nine months. It's hard work. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's irritating at times. I'm, I'm just a witness. <laughs> and then labor kicks in. And the uncomfortableness the difficulty shifts into pain. And there are groans and there are moans and smart husbands stay out of striking distance. <laughs> and your wife will say things that you will never ever hear her say again. Because <laughs> it's difficult and it's hard and it's suffering. 
But when that child is put into her arms, it was all worth it. A deep, sustaining joy settles in on mom. And that child, that son, that daughter will always be a daughter, a son who is loved. I remember going into our kids' bedrooms and just watching them sleep and soaking it all up. Mostly because they were sleeping, but I also, there's something beautiful. (laughs) Something beautiful. A quiet joy. Do you see what Isaiah is trying to get us to understand? That there's going to be a shift. We're going to go from distress to joy. The darkness is real. Please do not demean the darkness. Please do not tell us it doesn't hurt. It does hurt. And the waiting is intense, and it can be long. It's 700 years, friends, before Bethlehem, before a manger, before angels. It's intense suffering, but Isaiah is saying it will not last And the darkness will only intensify your joy. So if you find yourself in a dark place, I pray that God delivers. But know this, that when he does, you will rejoice like nobody else. Because you know the reality of suffering. And God delivers big joy, great joy. And he will do it in small ways that often you and I will discount. Let me land a plane. Let's just talk... Let's talk about the implications for us today. It's almost 2020. Can you believe it? December 2019. What's Isaiah 9 have to say to us? I believe his spirit has already been speaking to you, speaking to me. But let me just pose this question. Where are you looking for joy? Where, where are you searching for joy? Can I just tell you something about this Christmas? Let me just tell you what your kids or your grandkids are going to be thinking on Christmas. They're going to be expectant, anticipating, excited. The presents are there. I mean, you do wait till Christmas Day, right? You are Christians. You don't do Christmas. You don't do Christmas Eve. We're talking orthodoxy here, friends. Okay. Christmas morning, presents are open. There's paper everywhere. Kids got their gifts. It's December 26th. Do you know what every kid is thinking on December 26th? 364 more days till Christmas. Because that's how long the joy lasts. I mean, yeah, it spills over into the week and they're playing with their toys and they're enjoying it all, but the Christmas decorations go away. Where are you looking for joy? Are you looking in places, in people, which the joy will be sustained? Eugene Peterson writes what I believe to be a very, very prophetic words. Peterson, an author and a pastor, says, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. We try to get joy through entertainment. We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories, perform dramatic actions, sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court gesture to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. 
The effects are extremely temporary. A few quiet minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. Friends, where are you looking for joy? There's a baby. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, what what that name means is that he has the wisdom that will cause people to marvel. He's got wisdom that will cause people. Do you remember the stories of Jesus where he's answering a trick question? They're trying to trap him. He gives the answer and people go, what, amazing. And he teaches in ways that no one, that, what authority. He's a wonderful counselor. He has the wisdom that causes people to marvel. He's mighty God because he has the power to execute his wise plan. Oh, people can come up with plans. They can come up with strategies. But this leader, this king to be is mighty God, meaning he's got the resources to execute his plan. And he's everlasting father. People don't know a leader like this. You see, leaders and kings, they always rule at the expense of the people. They tax, they overtax, they abuse the people, not this king. This king will not rule at the expense of the people. He will actually lay down his life for his people. He's a good dad, and he's the prince of peace. He will come into the land of deep darkness, those living in the shadow of darkness, the ones who are broken, and he will deliver to them healing and wholeness. This is the peace that's embedded in our vision statement, that our city will be a city at peace with God. And Jesus is the prince of peace. He will cause lives to flourish. He has the wisdom to do it. He's got the resources to do it. He will never do it at the expense of you and I and us. And he does it to make us whole. Friends, where are you looking for your joy? There's a savior born in Bethlehem who's come to offer you great joy. Second thing I'd say to us, then I'll wrap up. Be an active participant in sharing the best news ever because sudden abundance produces great joy. There are people living in the land of darkness. You know who they are. Some of you are in that place, but you have hope. There are some in the darkness who don't know where to turn. You see, Laurel was up here giving announcements and she talked about you know, Barnabas groups. So you could be an active participant in reaching the neighborhoods and the nations by being part of a Barnabas group. You could adopt a missionary. You could be praying for missionaries, caring for missionaries. You could own a missionary family and support them. That's being an active participant in the mission that Christ has given to us. You could be praying. You could be giving. Because this is the best news ever. This is the news that dispels the darkness. Let me wrap up. I'm going to show you a video, but before, let me just set it up. Because I want you to see the sudden abundance. When, when you get it, I want you to see the joy that it produces. A guy named Mark and his wife, this is 1970s, feel called to missions. They apply to a missions board, they're turned down. They're told they're too old and they don't have the ability to learn a language. They still sense the call, so they go to another mission board. And they go to that board, and the board that tells them, yep, yep, you're, 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 gonna be, you're older than most people who apply, but uh, we'll take you, we'll train you. And Mark and his wife um, are, are accepted, and they're sent to Papua New Guinea. Now, if you don't know where Papua New Guinea is, it's north of Australia. 
And it's, it's, a, uh, it's a, a difficult terrain. It's, a, it's a, in the 70s, tribal people who don't have any of the modern conveniences that people enjoyed even in the 1970s. Um, and they go there, and they begin taking the best news ever to people who have never heard. And they begin by telling the story from, from the beginning. In Genesis, they talk about creation. They talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they, they talk about David. And they spend five and a half months simply telling the story of God. They have to create a map to show where their tribe is connected to the other tribes. Then they create another map and they show kind of where their tribe is in relation to where Papua New Guinea is. And then they have to make a map, another map to show where Papua New Guinea is in relation to the world because they got to tell them about Israel and about what, what, what happens in Bethlehem in a manger. After five and a half months of sharing the story, they finally get to the point where they're describing, they're telling the good news of the gospel, and they're, about, they're telling the, this news about a Christ who could forgive your sin and dispel your darkness. These are a people who are living in darkness. They know the reality of darkness. They know the, the oppression of evil spirits. Some of them have even seen evil spirits. And they're trying to appease them, and they're trying to, to keep them off by offering sacrifices, and yet the darkness is so very tangible. But then the moment comes in, the, in, in, in this video where, where people are being, they're hearing the gospel for the first time. What you're going to see is, as the video begins, you're, you're going to see a man who's, who's standing, and it's starting to sink in for him, and then it begins to spread, and I want you to see sudden abundance that produces great joy. Watch this with me. Etnica! Blanc la gartan! Il a ta bonne ni la vaisselle marrue et t'en a qui. Etnica il a pris le coffre à qui. Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. Friends, when you've been living in darkness and you hear that kind of news, it's, it's great joy. They get it. Do you? Do you get what Christ has done for you? A child was born in a manger so that you could have life and life to the full. Distress to joy. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. 
If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.